What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Physique Archive. I am your host, Kate and Michelle. Shameless plug to my Instagram. Go ahead and follow me there. And any guests that you guys would like to see, please go ahead, comment, shoot me a DM. I'll invite anybody um, on here to talk all things physique related. So in today's episode, I'm really, really excited to have Mark Tomanek from Tomanek Training um, on today to talk about peds, hormone health, um, looking at all of the indicators of, of what it looks like to be a coach right now, because a lot of people are still doing surface level things um, and not necessarily doing a deep dive into health and measurements as far as blood markers, how to address all those issues. And so, of course, when I have someone of this caliber on the podcast that's really deep diving into these things, I like to ask questions that I can go that you guys have asked me, right? Um, so I hope that this is educational for you guys. I'm very excited for what is to come and I have to have him back on because there are so many things that we didn't even get to dive into. I was just surface level, but again, really educational, very insightful, and I'm really, really excited for this episode. So I think you guys will love it. Uh, again, if you guys think of any other person that you want to have on the podcast, I've got some really awesome guests coming up that you guys suggested in my story on Instagram. I did ask highly requested guests. So February is going to be lit. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into this because this is a pretty long conversation. Please, everybody, thank Mark for coming on and let's dive into the episode. Again, it's it's one thing that I'm very interested in, but I also know that like as much as I can read about it, application is different. Um, right. and so I'm very interested to get that perspective from you. So uh, before we go ahead and deep dive into it, first, mm -hmm. welcome. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, as does my audience. If you could give them a little background into you know who you are, uh, your coaching experiences, what got you into coaching, and then we'll kind of take the conversation from there. Great. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Um, my, I am Mark Tominick, who is the basically the head coach at Tominick Train. Um, I have a don't I have numerous coaches under me um, that are all either like educated formally or are you know um, very experienced coaches uh, that I brought on board. I hired you know personally. Um, what got me into coaching? Well, I guess we got to go back like to like 1990 when I was born because my dad was a bodybuilder, so I got to grow up watching him you know, compete, pose, go through all the motions, all the food, the dieting. Um, you know, I got to see the good, bad, and ugly at a really early age. And um, it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. And um, I didn't necessarily want to be a bodybuilder, like right away. Um, that wasn't something that kind of sparked my interest because I saw what my dad went through and how harsh it could be. Um, and so I, I grew up wrestling. That was my thing. Went to college for it. You know, then I ended up playing rugby in college. And once I left college, you know, I started um, pursuing a, a physique development, more more of a physique development mindset and how I approach training, how I approach nutrition, all of that. Um, realistically, when I started, I, I actually started coaching before I started competing. Um, it, you know, when you grow up watching bodybuilders kind of, well, kind of destroy themselves, Um and you see how harsh bodybuilding is and you see the reality of it and you see the ugly side. Um, I grew up wondering if there was a smarter approach. Um, you know, a lot of times now we're seeing the ugly side of bodybuilding and all the drug abuse and all the poor dieting tactics really come to a head. And I think this came to a head probably about two years ago and it's still kind of rearing its ugly face. Whereas coaches just weren't practicing safely. You had a lot of people that were unknowledgeable um, giving you the basic, you know, meal plan, um, not that meal plans are inherently bad because they're not, you can do a lot of great things with them, 
but you know, it was a lot of people that were uneducated, unexperienced, and they got their diet from the coach before them and they pushed it onto their people. And they said more is better in terms of cardio drugs, less food. They just kept pushing harder and harder. And now we see all these bad practices with all these health issues kind of coming to light now. And so that's really what I, what made me want to coach. I was like, I see all these bad practices. I see a ton of terrible coaches. I see a ton of women with a crippled HPG axis. Um, you know, there's gotta be a smarter way. And so I dug in, I studied under a lot of great mentors. Um, one of them being Austin Stout, which I'm sure many of you know and listen to. Um, and I, I, I'm in touch with him on a daily basis because we're always digging into some shit that is going on or, um, you know, I'm trying to learn more. Um, but that's really what got me into coaching is just seeing all the bad shit and understanding that I think I can do it better and knowing that there's a better way. I mean, you know, a lot of times, again, I'm not, I'm not leading this fight alone. Um, I think there's a lot of good coaches like Sam Miller, Justin Mahaley, that are really doing a nice job that were kind of the spearhead with me of taking control of health and mixing it with physique development. Yeah. Um, so, the- sorry to interrupt you, but one thing that I notice a lot and people on social media, they love drama. Um, and it's one of those things where they, they put all of these coaches against one another, like, Oh, I'm working with this person because this person's trash. Uh, and, and one thing that that sucks, um, in my opinion is the barrier to entry is so low to jump online and be a coach. Right. And so you have all these poor practices, taking advantage of a vulnerable people, naive people, um, so that you can make a quick buck, which sucks. But when, uh, you really deep dive into who's doing the right things, all of them are fighting the same fight. All of them are trying to do the right thing. Um, and there is no drama when you know that a good coach is a good coach and they all have this, this respect, right? Because you alone, even your team, you, you can't help as many people as you want to. Um, so knowing that there are good coaches like Austin Stout out there um, that are doing some really groundbreaking things that are leading um, kind of the fight with this as far as attacking not only physique sport, uh, but optimizing physiological health as well. metabolic health and kind of attacking it from not only what we can learn um, on a, you know, physiological basis with education, but also taking the application and really looking at the niche of bodybuilding. Um, And that's where it gets difficult from a practitioner. Like everyone's like, well, consult with your PCP. Well, not all PCPs are going to really deep dive into what it is we need to be looking at um, when it comes to physique athletes. And so that's something I really want you to kind of dive into is, you know, taking that, that knowledge and then looking into the application of it when it comes to blood work, when it comes to PEDs, and when it comes to all those different things and kind of attacking them, how you do. Yeah, that was a, that was a really foreign thing, I think, when I first came in. Uh, blood work, looking at that, was I don't even know if it was a possibility. I don't know if you can go to a lab corp when I first started and go get your blood drawn from a third-party source. Like, you needed to ask your general practitioner. And uh, it's funny because you go to them and you ask for labs and they give you the shit basics of, you know, TSH and they're looking at estradiol. And I'm like, why are you looking at estradiol and progesterone is like the culprit behind the menorrhea that's driving this. You don't even know the ratio between the two. Then you're not going to test, you're not going to test testosterone on women. You're not going to test free tests. You don't know, actually, you never tested sex hormone binding globulin. So there's this huge disconnect of what they, what we need to know and what they think we need to know to optimize health. And again, I get it. They deal with a completely different population. The population they deal with are people that are type two diabetic or on the verge of becoming. Um, They're dealing with people that are on statins 
all the time. They're dealing with people on blood pressure medication. They're dealing with your everyday, you know, Joe and, and Sally that have general health concerns. We are looking to optimize health. We are looking to optimize performance. We are athletes and athletes that are just in a, such a special niche because there's no real way to, to define us or categorize us with another sport. Um, we're so specific. What we do is you won't get to the top level if everything's not optimized. And, you know, I, I don't like to confuse complication with optimization. You know, I like to keep those two very separate because they are very separate. And a lot of people confuse the two. Um, for us, it's like, you know, we could look at blood work and I could see something and say, that's not optimal. Okay. It might be a normal range, you know, when we look at this blood work, but it's not necessarily optimal for us. You know, when we look at the thyroid values and we can break down all of this, you know, and I see that TSH is, is higher, but it's still a normal range, Well, that's still not good. You know, we need to find a way to bring that down. Then we go down the conversion all the way down the thyroid to T4, free T3, reverse T3. And you start to notice like, oh, wow, things aren't great down here where we actually get used the th usable thyroid hormone. So you got to trace your way back up the conversion and figure out what's going on. And um, I think, you know, primary care physicians really miss that. And it's not necessarily their fault either, uh, because I think it's insurance companies that really issue here. You know, they're the enemy. They're the ones that won't cover or pay for things unless there's a need. Well, okay, we're trying to be preventative here. And that's the issue with our healthcare system. It's not preventative. It's, it's medication-based. And so, you know, when I started coaching, that was the whole reason. You know, can we mix physique development and healthcare together? And, um, you know, who's going to dare to kind of dive into that with me? And there's a few people that were already doing it. Jason Theobald's been doing it for years. Like I said, Austin South's been doing it for years. And then you got people coming up in the next generation. I call it like the next generation, next wave of, of me, Justin, and a few others, you know? Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's really complex. Um, I know um, I am getting into endocrinology. That's something that I'm very interested in studying. Um, I've worked with some holistic um, doctors as well, as far as treating it on the natural side. I do think um, the issue with going to a PCP, for example, is you're right. There is they want to treat it and they want to treat it with medication. And I think that that's not the first step. That shouldn't be the ground bear. Like that shouldn't be the next, the first and initial. Um, I think that you have to kind of backtrack and go, okay, what's going on here? What might be causing this? Let's look more in depth. Can we fix this by just changing environment, uh, nutrition, um, stress? I mean, all those things are going to kind of impact that without going right into a prescription drug. And that's something that you mentioned is, you know, they are working with almost the complete opposite as far as population is concerned, right? These aren't people that are extremely healthy, that exercise normally, maybe a little bit more than the average person, I would say, um, and that really are looking to level up um, with their physique, body composition, and overall metabolic health. Um, and so when you take that in, into consideration, yes, there's a lot of research, and yes, there is all this stuff on metabolic syndromes. However, it's not applicable to the niche that is so specific as bodybuilding. Um, and that's where I think a lot of these coaches that are trying to look at this stuff and then read a PubMed article or something and take the abstract and they're like, oh, I can treat this by doing this. Um, it's not always applicable to those people. And so you have to get into the people that have that background knowledge, but also have the experience in, in education as far as practicality and anecdote um, that really know how to attack these things heads on. So um, when you look at blood work, I mean, and there's so many different things we could talk about here, um, but First, on the natural side, um, if you see something in a female that is off, or one thing I, I tend to see 
um, is testosterone in women, for example, um, is quite low, uh, especially like after dieting phases. Um, and I don't know if you see that same trend, but when you see numbers as low, for example, I'll use myself. I got my blood work done and my testosterone level uh, was like a seven. Um, and I think the higher end is like a 15, um, based on the ranges that they had given. So when you look at something like that, you know, how are you attacking that? Okay. So for testosterone, um, you know, numerous things, I start diving into the behaviors first, realistically, there's going to be a cortisol connection to all of these things we're going to talk about today. Um, and I think there's a book called the cortisol connection and, um, I never read it, but I think it, it covers, it's going to cover really everything that we kind of talk about today. Um, you know, what really happens here is typically I'm going to see a person that is highly stressed. The perceived stress is through the roof, whether that's with work or relationship. Um, it could be anything. And maybe they're just type A personalities, very high strung. Like we got to find a way to kind of break that. <laughs> we got to kind of find a, find a way to break that down. Like we have to break the mold. We have to break your beliefs of get, getting you and changing your mindset to, you know, stop trying to control everything, control what you control, and then we'll kind of dial back some of that perceived stress. Let's be more organized, you know, let's prepare better. All those different things, we kind of start to, you know, fall in line. Um, you know, I'm going to notice their sleep is terrible, or maybe they're shift workers. Um, this is very normal in shift workers. We're going to see a lot of these issues we're going to talk about today in, in shift workers or night workers. Um, they're over-exercising, too much cardio, way too much training volume. Um, they've probably been in a deficit for way too long. Realistically, the issue isn't testosterone. What I find it's DHEA. They are low in DHEA because we're having poor conversions. Um, and again, when you look down the conversion of all this, it's, it's like DH, well, you have pregnenolone and then DHEA, and then DHEA goes to like androstenedione and then androstenediol, and then it goes to testosterone and then testosterone converts to estrogen right through aromatization. So you have to kind of trace your way back through this conversion and go, okay, well, what's the real issue here? Most of the time it's because pregnenolone, which is like the mother hormone is being stolen by cortisol. Cortisol steals the fuck out of everything all the time. And so we're basically, I look at this person, they're just a ball of stress. All the stresses are attacking them all at once. And what I do is I start going, okay, let's start stripping these away. I'm lessening training. I'm pulling back on training, I'm going reps in reserve. I'm pulling back on volume, pulling, pulling all cardio. Um, I'm implementing parasympathetic activity for them. Walks, right? No more cardio, hit cardio, none of that. I'm pulling all your boot camps, all your CrossFit, all the stuff that you like love that are you're because you're addicted to exercise. Um, you know, I'm working on your circadian rhythm pattern. I'm working on light exposure with you through light therapies. Um, there's a lot that I'm digging into to kind of reduce these stressors to get to make sure there's enough pregnenolone to convert to DHEA and then convert down the line to testosterone, okay? Now the problem is, is when we're also stressed, sex hormone binding globulin come, kind of perks up now. And when that shows its head, then it's starting to eat up and hold or bind testosterone. And uh, it basically saves it for later. Think of it like Pac-Man, it eats up testosterone, holds it hostage so it can't be used for a while. That's what's happening. So now we have a lower free test. So, you know, the testosterone level is great. I would love to see a testosterone level in the thirties for a woman, to be honest with you, if, if we're talking optimal numbers. Um, but the reality of it is, it is you got to watch out for that, that free test number. That's what we want to kind of get up because then that's usable free testosterone. Yeah. And that's, 
it's all like, it's so complex for people. And I think that's really important to say is, you know, one thing that I see in a lot of my athletes with anything that's thrown hormonally is looking at their stress. And one thing that you said that I really liked, and one thing I really pay attention to in my athletes is circadian rhythms. Um, the body runs so efficiently when we're in a good dynamic and things are consistent and everyone preaches consistency, but they don't know how to regulate that in an environmental setting. And so really looking at this person's day to day, it's not just when did you eat last or when did, how soon you're eating before bed. Like I know a lot of people pay a lot of attention to nutrition, which I think is great. Um, it plays a very large role, but are you going to bed at the same times? Are you sleeping through the night? What's going on on that level, right? Where are your hydration statuses? Where are all these things that you do on a daily basis? How are they adding up on top of your training and your nutrition? So I think it's a bigger scope um, that I think a lot of coaches lose sight of. So I was really happy to hear you say that. Yeah. And it's funny because with these, most of these issues, we're going to notice circadian rhythm pattern or a cortisol, like waking and sleep pattern. It might be like flip-flopped or heightened, or, you know, it might be a, you know, it might have an adrenal hypo state. Like there's a ton of different things that we can do or that basically we can do to our body. And not once will you go into your doctors and they will ask, well, how are you sleeping? Like, how's your cortisol patterns? Like, how do you think, you know, are you waking up in the middle of the night? Because if so, you know, that's a cortisol spike. Why are you spiking cortisol in the middle of the night? You know, why are we having a melatonin production issue? And you'll, they'll never ask those things. And I think there's a huge, that's why I love the holistic approach. And that's why it's like fascinated me. How can we fix all these issues with just getting you to sleep, not only more, but better and then you know, what are some different things or tactics that we can do to employ that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people really, and, and I, I like this message, but it, it's, again, it's not always applicable to people. Like people will be like, you know, the grind is there and you got to work hard and like no days off. And I'm like, but you're not recovering and your sleep sucks. And then you feel like shit and your performance suffers. And then you want to talk about really being able to progress. Well, you're not progressively overloading because you're not recovered enough to increase your performance. And so all of that stuff really ties around in a loop. And so while we can preach this grind harder and, you know, always train to failure and do these crazy things uh, realistically again mostly in natural athletes that's not a realistic expectation you cannot expect um, them to go in and crush themselves every single day doing hella cardio always hitting pr numbers and cl training close to failure or to failure um, and and sleeping like shit not recovering and expecting them to progress yeah you know and, and that's one of the questions on my um, questionnaire, the con initial console is like, hey, tell me about your sleep because it's so important. It's the basis of everything. I always tell people with the no days off mentality, like part of the no days off is getting your sleep in. Like that is part of the programming. Like my programming is so fluid. Like my training and the nutrition and the supplementation all match the recovery. Like everything is programmed together as this fluid unit. So for you to have a no days off mentality and be successful, you have to do everything in the program. It's not just picking pieces, parts when we want to or when it's convenient for us, you know? And these coaches that just keep pushing more and more, like, yeah, I'm fighting you. I'm coming after you. And I don't want these people, like, you know, there's a lot of people that have come to my team from other big name coaches. Look, I'm not, as a, as a coach, I'm not trying to end your business. I'm trying to make you better. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to take all your clients. First off, I can't take all your clients. I can't, you know, withstand it all. I just want you to do better. So, when I started this, I started just educating on Instagram. That's how I built my following. That's how I built my business. You know, it was just educating others because I want others to do better with this, especially the sleep thing. It's massive. Yeah. And I think it's very, really important to have that as a screening part of your 
uh, of your onboarding process, but also I really like that you mentioned that it's a part of the prescription. You know, coaches talk about protocols. And again, I think that it's so emphasized the training and nutrition aspect that the recovery aspect is not a part of that. They're not saying you need to wind down at this time. Like they're not saying, what do you do on a daily basis? What are your daily schedule? Okay, cool. Now looking at this, I really want you to start, you know, getting into a nighttime routine at this time, start looking at winding down at this time. And we need to address these issues that are coming down to your relaxation, your recovery, your sleep quality. And it's not just duration. It's like the depth of sleep, um, yeah. all those different yeah. things, resting heart rate, paying attention to that biofeedback. You know, why is it always elevated? What's going on here? Um, you know, you see it spike 10 beats per minute and you're like, okay, well, this is an issue. Like what's going on here? We need days off you need time for recovery. And so when you start looking at all variables as a part of the protocol, you're going to be able to enhance that athlete's experience and the response that you see. And I think a lot of people crush people. Um, and I've been there. I've, I started off with a horrible coach. That's why I got into coaching in the first place. Right. Um, and you just see that, you know, your physique can shift overnight and look like you put on 10 pounds and really you're so inflamed and so stressed out and you haven't slept in a week. Like that's playing more of a role than just calories in calories out. And so while that variable is important, uh, it's not the most important I would even say. No, no. You know, I'm constantly having conversations with my athletes about their sleep. And it's funny because most people wouldn't connect phone usage to resting heart rate ever. Right. But what, what is the connection? Like, why are you asking me phone usage and resting heart rate? Because there's a direct connection between blue light and then your sleep, like your quality of sleep you know, blue light deprives you of melatonin production. So we naturally have this response. It's evolutionary built into us as, as nighttime comes or dusk, you know, approaches and, you know, the sun goes down, our body starts naturally producing melatonin. Well, now, right into the 2000s, we have this artificial blue light that's basically just, it's, it's taking the cortisol pattern, it's changing it, and I don't think it's going to be an evolutionary thing down the line. I have no idea because we, you know, we can't predict those things. Or, you know, we have artificial overhead lights, LED lights beaming down on us at 10 p.m. You know, it's changing things. It's changing our circadian rhythm pattern. It's changing the way we produce melatonin. And now you're not able to fall asleep as deep. You're not able to recover as deep. And you're waking up with an increased resting heart rate. And it's changing. It's trending up. We're watching it happen. And uh, so when I dig in with these clients, I'm like, hey, like, let's set up a nighttime routine. You know, phone goes off at this time. Overhead lights, they start dimming at 7 p.m. You know, let's start practicing some light, you know, some, some light control and uh, some behavior, you know, changes. And, and that really always fixes the problem. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's really refreshing, but also really cool to see. I think that coaching on some level is a lot about behavior, aspects of behavior, asking enough questions to understand the behaviors of your clients um, so that you can help them get to where they want to be. Everybody has habits, right? There's good habits and there's bad habits. Your job as a coach to, is to investigate the poor habits that they have and help them to change them. And habit breaking and reformation is a hard thing to do for a lot of people. Um, so I think it's really important that you addressed that issue. Um, one question I have for you is when you look, I work with mostly female. So a lot of my questions are going to be around the female athlete. Um, when you look at their blood work, what are some of the biggest things that you see? Um, and how are you addressing them? Either do you start with diet? Do you look at training first? Um, let's say that their sleep is good and that that's kind of ticked off the box. Um, what are you doing supplementation wise? Um, what are you looking at here? Anything insight to that stuff? Yeah. So the main thing is there's a couple of things I'm seeing and, and it's really related to estrogen dominance. Um, one, I mean, that's really like kind of artificially imposed by birth control. 
uh, since birth control is so widely used and it forces you into an estrogen dominant state, depending on like what you're using, obviously. But for the main people, they're using they're using a low estrogen pill. Um, it's it's forcing them into estrogen dominance, essentially. And progesterone's, you know, flatlined. Why is it flatlined? Well, that's what birth control does, right? It doesn't want you to signal to basically be fertile at a certain time. Okay. Um, or I'm also seeing an issue with estrogen dominance um, and low testosterone in women that use peas like Anabar. Um, and this gets in the whole conversation, you know, people abusing Anabar and then not using a PCT. They're saying, well, we could just, you can just use Anabar and don't need a PCT. That's bullshit. If you say that as a coach, like don't run Anabar. Okay. Um, you absolutely need to run some sort of PCT. And if you're sure to let the hormones do what they're supposed to do, they're going to stay flatline for a long time. And there's an issue like women with low T that's an issue in libido. Um, you're going to notice some mental issues, um, like depressive or anxiety, uh, based issues. Um, now how do we fix all these? Okay. So there's a couple things, uh, we can do if I'm looking at someone that's been using PCT for a long, I'm sorry, for, uh, Anabar for a long time or Winstrol or Primo or NPP, you know, it doesn't matter trend, like, you know, Women can use all sorts of drugs. It's the, the, the poisons in the dose, realistically. Um, I'm probably going to use something like Jumpstart EC by New Ethics. I think that's probably the best practice. And there's, you know, it just depends on what I'm seeing on blood work and how suppressed things are. There are some women that get on Anabar and don't have an issue whatsoever. They get off and it's like nothing ever happened. It's like, what, the, like, how the hell did the HPG axis? really, how is it so resilient? And then other women, they're, they're just, just devastated for months. And in that case, you have to, as a coach, you have to make a determination like, Hey, have a talk with them and say, Hey, this may not be for you because your body responds too negatively, you know? Um, so, so I'm going to work up food, obviously, um, you know, sleep is, if that's good, that's great. We're keeping, um, keeping stress low. Uh, I may use something like MorphoCalm to make sure estrogen, uh, Make sure cortisol stays kind of suppressed. Also helps with a healthy balance of estrogen. Um, with estrogen dominance, you know, there's so many reasons why estrogen dominance occurs. And it kind of comes back to our conversation of uh, we were having about the long list of conversions in the, uh, in the sex hormone uh, department. So we have to figure out why these are occurring, right? Um, and you kind of got to get to the root issue. And, and typically the root issue is like over dieting again, over exercise, all those things, right? All those stressors. And I call it coaching. Coaching is realistically just your, your management of stressors is what you are. That's what you are. That's what you do. Um, you, really calculating calories doesn't matter because in the grand scheme of things, like the calories need to be there in order to produce right resources, which are sex hormones and, you know, carry on with our day. So with estrogen dominance, numerous ways to kind of circumvent this. And really what we're talking about is we're talking about not estrogen being so high, it's absolutely dominant. It's actually, we're talking about low progesterone when you talk about estrogen dominance. That's what we're really after. And that's why there's some people that, you know, are worried about, well, women have low estrogen after competing. It's actually low progesterone because again, cortisol is stealing progesterone, right? Cortisol steal or progesterone steal, whatever you want to call it. Again, cortisol is the thief of major hormones in the body. Um, it's a major issue. So again, comes back to the saying of coaching is balancing of stressors. Probably, uh, you know, looking at the estrogen progesterone ratio, I'm probably going to use something like Chaseberry. 
by new ethics. Um, again, that helps with signaling luteinizing hormone, help creation of progesterone. Um, and then we kind of got to dig it a little bit more. Then it gets really individual. You know, are we using things to produce healthy estrogen? Are we using things to help produce uh, DHEA and the testosterone? So it, then it gets really individualized. So when you talk about the ratio between those two, what is the ratio that you're looking for? It's realistically a, um, so it's, it's a, a equation. Okay. The equation is take the progesterone number, multiply by a thousand and then divide by estrogen. Okay. So what ends up happening is you end up looking at this and what number do you want? Well, we want to be between hundred and 200, somewhere in there, ideally. The problem is you'll do this equation on so many women and none of them will be in there. Estrogen dominance is so widespread uh, in, our, in our area of practice. Um, again, because of all these stressors or because of birth control or because of PED usage, this is, this is widespread. Yeah. So a question on PEDs, and I, I like that you mentioned Anivar. For me, again, coaching an audience, most of them are going to be uh, bikini and or figure athletes. Um, so Anivar is definitely a drug that is talked about widely. Um, when you prescribe this, um, first, at what point do you have that conversation with someone? And two, where are you starting with dosage? What is, I mean, for me, everything that I use uh, as far as even supplements or training, um, food cuts, et cetera, it's minimum effective dose. I think a lot of people try to drop these calories like it's hot and bump cardio off the jump. Um, but if someone's going to trend down, for example, for fat loss, um, dropping maybe 200 calories and they're cruising, you know, you don't always have to change anything. So uh, on the PED side where you can speak on that much more than I can, um, you know, where do you start and how do you go about that? Yeah. Conversation is uh, a little weird at first because I, they, I basically look at their expectations. I want to know their goals. I'm like, Hey, to get there, I just want you to be aware. This is what other people do. I go, when you're ready to have that conversation, or if you want to stay natural, like we can have the conversation or we can stay natural. I go, I'm going to coach you either way. And I'm going to be successful at coaching you either way. But I want you to realize the women at the top, you know, it's again, it's about setting expectations with these people. Because realistically, a lot of people come in with unrealistic expectations. I've had natural fit girls that want to be natural figure pros come to me and say, I want to do it naturally. I'm like, well, you're not going to do that. So I have to be real. There's, don't get me wrong. There's some people that can, but they're absolute genetic phenoms. And I would love to work with a genetic phenom. It'd be great, right? But we're not all genetic phenoms. And setting those expectations, being realistic with them, having the serious conversation about these are what this is what women are using. This is how they're getting there. We can do it. But here are the side effects. You know, we have the virilization. We have uh, voice deepening, right? Some people can experience hair loss, hair growth. You know, deep, I said deepening the voice, maybe acne right? Uh, clitoral enlargement. Um, you could notice uh, hormonal imbalances, right? Mood swings, all those things. We have to have the conversation about that. Those are the expectations. Um, now, if you choose to use, okay, we'll do it, but I'm going to do it in the most conservative manner. I'm going to make sure we're optimal. So there's a couple things I'm going to do to make sure of this. One, how adherent are we? Are we adhering to all our goals? I want to actually look at training. Are we training to failure? where it's needed, where it's requested, how's your training intensity, how's your training execution? Because those are matter to me most. If we can't execute, and I'm not, I don't know how coaches get away with programming and not reviewing training videos. If you're programming, even nutrition, if you're not reviewing training videos and you're not watching how someone moves, you're really shooting arrows in the dark. 
you know, because that's the major component to me programming successfully for you or me determining whether or not peats are for you. If I haven't seen your intensity and let's say you're only doing 60%, why would I throw peats on top of that? We have another 40% to hit the ceiling, right? To hit the stimulus threshold. So it's, it's that open, honest communication, setting those expectations, me putting the work in reviewing with these people and then going, okay, let's set up the cycle. So here's the cycle, right? I prefer to use injectable L-carnitine with all of these drugs because it makes them more effective. It actually helps with receptor um, sensitivity. Um, now, dosage on that is going to depend. Um, you know, some people start at like 200 milligrams uh, and then work their way up. I, I've seen people use, I've seen people use 3000 milligrams of L-carnitine with zero side effects. So like, I, and I don't want to encourage people to use that dosage, but I've seen people worry about side effects. I haven't seen any with L-carnitine besides uh, it's a pain in the ass to inject, you know, literally sometimes. I've heard but, that. So again, I, I, I don't use, this is actually something I'm very curious about. I did a, a podcast last week with Dr. Campbell from USF and we were talking about future studies and in his, in his lab, I went there um, for my graduate studies as we studied L-carnitine. That was one supplement we talked about an oral carnitine, though the idea in the medical uh, the metabolic pathway is, was promising. The effectiveness sucks, right? It's, it's, it's a junk supplement. Most of the time you have to take it in like super physiological doses just to get like a minimal return yeah. if on something. So when we switch to the conversation of injectable, um, you know, this is something I'm very curious about. I have not used it before, but I'm very curious about doing it, um, just to see how effective it is. Um, I'm happy that you said that, but you've noticed that it also increases the, the, I guess, the genetic optimization of supplemental um, PEDs as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's going to have a long list of benefits. I mean, it starts with beta oxidation, right? Fat loss is great at transporting fatty acids. That's fantastic. But realistically, increasing IGF binding protein three, increasing receptor sensitivity, um, uh, ammonia recycling, so you're recovering faster. I mean, realistically, like it's almost like a drug that sounds, it's not a drug. It's, I shouldn't say it's a supplement. Um, I don't want to even categorize it as a PEED, even though it's injectable because it's not, you know, um, L-carnitine is already existing in the body, right? Carnitine already exists. We're just giving super physiological dosages. And you're right with saying that, you know, with oral, you can't get a super physiological dosage. It's literally, you, you physically couldn't ingest enough to do it. Now, if you're trying to fix a deficiency, you could use oral L-carnitine because you could get enough and it would probably uptake, you know, and absorb enough. But yeah, man, L-carnitine is, is almost like the shit. It's pretty great. And it doesn't work. People think they're going to take it, inject it, and turn it into superhuman. It works the background in so many ways under the hood. It improves insulin sensitivity, too, in, in muscle, muscle glycogen uptake. So you're going to notice better blood glucose levels. Like, it's just fantastic. It works on so many different pathways, so many different mechanisms of action going on there. Um, so when you add a supplement like Anavar at five milligrams, right? You notice more effectiveness at five milligrams than you would without it. So. Very interesting. I'm curious about that. Um, as yeah. far as how that works, but I guess it works within the mitochondria um, on some right. logical level to optimize that stuff. So very interesting. Um, but you mentioned Anavar and you mentioned five milligrams. So um, when starting someone on any type of PED, um, we can go down. I'm actually very curious as to you know, supplements as far as peds that you would use for females specifically. Um, but starting with Anavar, you know, what is, what is the dosage is five milligrams once a day? Some people do twice a day. Are you supplementing that with a liver support? Um, how are you going about that prescription? 
Yeah, so with Anavar, I'm going to run Tudka, T-U-D-C-A. Um, really, I just want to make sure those liver bile ducts are open so we can have liver bile kind of cleansing, detoxifying, uh, because that's what the liver does. It detoxifies, and it does so much for us in a day. Um, from amino acids, you know, pools, delivering those where they need to go to filtering all the drugs, putting those where they need to go. I mean, it's, it's pretty resilient and it's the only organ that is self-regenerating, right? Um, which is pretty cool. Um, but realistically, you know, Anovar, we could run anywhere from five to 20 milligrams. Um, I, I honestly, personally, I haven't ran 20 milligrams in a woman. I haven't needed to. Um, I've always found that I can get a lot out of 10 milligrams. I get a shit ton out of 10 milligrams when it's used properly and effectively. I would love to split that dose AM and PM, but when you're using five milligrams, it's really hard to split that dosage. Um, so realistically, I'll just use five milligrams pre-workout or around the same time on rest days. That's pretty much the safest bet, you know? Um, and again, you are worried about toxicity of the liver five milligrams won't do a whole lot in terms of toxicity. Um, and you always got to make sure like you're not just suppressing natural hormones and giving yourself like a natural level of, you know, sometimes five milligrams of Anavar isn't enough for women. And they're just basically suppressing their own natural levels. They're not really getting a whole lot out of it. So sometimes, you know, I say five milligrams, but that's not that, that's not the minimum dosage for everyone. You know, I do, I do want to be clear about that. So how do you, how are you assessing the response of that? Are you constantly, you know, I know that blood work is a huge part of PEDS. Um, so frequency of blood work, but also let's say you start somebody on five milligrams and you say that's not always the minimum effective dose for the person. So based on what biofeedback, are you manipulating that? How long are you waiting to assess that? How are you going about that? Yeah. You know, the one thing that we'll notice with Anavar right away is strength gains, uh, performance gains. And there's some women that literally don't won't have any performance gains on Anavar. And you're like, that's fucking weird. That's not the way that's supposed to be. And you'll look at their logbook, you look back at it. Cause I would make all my clients keep a logbook and track all their workouts, all their top sets. Um, and it's just not what we thought it would be or what we expect to be. And um, you know, that's kind of how I base most of my decisions if I'm not looking at blood work. Um, yeah, let's start there. Awesome. And if we're, if we're not having any side effects too, you know, if there's zero side effects, like nothing, then we know like, yeah, we're, we're that's not enough. So that brings my second question, um, sides. A lot of people won't talk about side effects of using peds. Um, so again, as we kind of go down the list of what you would prescribe, can you talk about the side effects that you might see if you were to go into using that, that supplement? Sure. Yeah. You want me to run down the list of drugs? Um, well, I want to go one by one. So right now we're talking about Anavar. So uh, once, and then we'll go on to the next one that you would use in a female. But um, for Anavar, for example, what um, are common side effects that you see um, with people that are taking them? And how do you mitigate them if you do? Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, you know, all of them realistically have some of similar side effects because we're all dealing with derivatives of testosterone, the male hormone, male sex hormone, the predominant male sex hormone, right? So they're all realistically the same. They just have different molecular structures, which attach to different receptors and then have different mechanisms of action slightly, right? So Anavar, um, you know, deepening of the voice is, is a major one I see. Um, let's see, acne, uh, you will see a little bit of hair loss or hair growth, um, but Anavar, that's probably, again, people like to say, that's the weaker or the safest one. 
I don't believe there's any drugs that are stronger or weaker because really protein expression is equal across all these compounds, milligram for milligram, but um, Anabar, Anabar is pretty effective at the same time, quote unquote, safer because of less sides. Awesome. Yeah. Very interesting. And I didn't know um, that there, there are similar side effects across different ones. So I'm excited to go into the next one. So after Anavar, let's say, do you start there first? I guess that's a question after L-Carn, is that where you're starting? Yeah. I'm going to, what I, the reason why I like starting with Anavar is a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's, it's more mild in terms of the side effects. But also, um, it's oral. If there is anything that goes wrong, your voice starts deepening, clitoral enlargement, any of those things, right? I can pull that drug instantly. It's out of your system within like 48 hours, right? Whereas if it's injectable, like Primo Inundate, well, then I need to wait for those levels to come back down. And it's going to take a little bit because it's a longer ester. Um, so I'll always start there, minimum dosage, see tolerance, see side effects, um, see effects, how they respond to DHTs in general or the DHT family. Um, because there's different families of steroids, right? You got the DHT column, you have testosterone derivatives in the 19 nors. So I always want to start with that DHT column because it's usually the safer for women. And then I move on from there. Awesome. So going into whatever the next supplement is that you would look at adding, what would that be? Uh, probably primabolin. I think that would be the next on my list here. Um, that is an injectable steroid. Um, doses of that are, you know, those are going to range from like 50 to 150 milligrams. Um, and some of these I won't give doses for, because I don't want women to dive into these. Um, there's going to be some that are like, I, I, you can use, but I don't want to suggest to use, but Primo is definitely one that we could be safe about use. Again, we're looking for the same side effects here. Um, you know, all the hair effects, virilization, um, you can notice the jaw, a little bit, you know, take shape, a little bit more masculine shape. Um, again, clitoral enlargement. Um, you can notice mood swings. All of those things are very possible with Primabolin. However, again, not guaranteed. You know, when we use the minimum dosage, we we'll start at the minimum dosage and then titrate from there. And as far as supplements to support that use, are you adding anything in with that? I know Anavar obviously it's oral, so you have to have some type of liver support. With injectables, do you have to have something added in to help support that as well? So the only thing I'm probably, I'm gonna make sure we're using uh, things to protect lipids. So either by lipid by Revive, or I like um, one that's really all inclusive is uh, Morpho Prime by, Mor by Morphogen Nutrition. Morpho Prime is something I use with almost all people that use PEDS. Uh, it protects cardiovascular tissue. It protects the liver, protects the kidneys. Um, overall, it's just an incredible supplement. Um, I think it even helps with blood sugar control too. Because sometimes you get with the toxicity with these drugs, the toxicity gets too high, and then you end up with some issues on the line because of toxicity. So um, realistically, I'm going to use that. And that's like a non-negotiable for me because I'm like, hey, if you can't afford these health supplements, you can't afford drugs. And that's the period. That's one really big thing that I I think either coaches aren't really pushing or athletes aren't concerned about, which is sad. Uh, but I think on some level, regular blood work is something that is not um, cheap um, on top of supplements that you need to support using PEDS. So can you kind of talk about that aspect, the financial aspect of going down that route to choose to go down that route and what it is as far as your responsibility um, to be taking the initiative to optimize your health while going down that path? Yeah. You know, for women, it's really not that expensive in terms of the PEDs. Those aren't the expensive part. Um, 
realistically, I mean, if you're going to run growth hormone and insulin as a woman, that's probably the most expensive route, you know, but at the same time, it's still, you can only use like two IUs of growth a day. So realistically, like that's not even that expensive. It comes down to the blood work. That's, you know, 200 to, if you're going to do a Dutch test, you know, maybe $400 for a panel, um, you know, with the health supplements, you need your health supplements while you're on, you need the PCT or the health supplements after to correct the blood work after we see the panel. That's, I think I think the money comes in and over counter supplementation and trying to be healthy and trying to remain healthy. That's what this cost comes in. And again, that cost is going to vary because we don't know if we're dealing with a case of amenorrhea. We don't know if we're dealing with a case of DHEA deficiency. If it's a DHEA deficiency, I can use you know, DHE by life extension for fucking, you know, 15 bucks, like, you know, really not that complicated. Some other things, you know, that you get from new ethics or morphogen, those, those companies that are very notable and reliable because the paperwork's there, we've seen it, you know, they've, they've released the results. Um, that's going to be a little bit more expensive, you know, a bottle of Primo or two bottles of Primo is really only going to run you probably 200 bucks if that, you know, yeah, interesting. Um, and I think that's important. I just think a lot of people, because I don't know if it's because they're young or they just feel like they're superhuman, but they feel like they don't have to pay attention to those variables. Mm-hmm. But there are things that if you aren't responsible about can can leave metabolic disorder um, long-term. Uh, and something that you talked about uh, was going back to kind of amenorrhea and things like that. So before adding in peds um, or going down that route, are you making sure that they're healthy on a physiological standpoint, that they're not experiencing those things first? Or how are you kind of attacking and addressing those issues? Yeah, you know, a lot of times with these hormonal issues, we're going to see gut health issues as well. Um, they kind of go hand in hand. And for me, for you to use drugs under me, all of those things have to be fixed. The adrenal issues, they have to be fixed. Um, your adherence has to be on point. You know, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't prescribe drugs to people that can't handle it uh, in terms of the maturity. It's, it's all, all about handling those underlying conditions first and then going to drugs. You know, um, that's, that's, you know, rule one. Awesome, which totally leads me down a different conversation pathway, um, and I might have to have you back on to talk about it, um, but I would love to know how, you know, what symptoms and signs that you see as far as gut issues and how you're addressing those things. Okay, um, so with gut issues, you know, it's really similar to hormone issues because it's all due to stressors, more than likely. Um, you know, we can go through the list of intolerances and kind of start chipping away at those, you know, whether they have you know, a gluten intolerance, uh, lactose intolerance, um, maybe a, a phenol intolerance or a sulfur intolerance, you know, whatever it may be, we can start chipping away at those and figure it out. Um, but realistically, it's because of stress. Always, always, always. And the first thing I'm going to do when people have a digestive issue is I'm, I'm realistically just going to have them uh, track like a digestion log for me in their notes and like, hey, give me a digestion log. Tell me when you're having a bowel movement, what's the consistency? If there's bloating occurring, tell me when. And, you know, I may, there may be things like a breath test or like a, uh, let's see, a burp test or different things that I might use to kind of determine what the gut issue really is, try to get to the bottom of it. You know, is it a stomach acid issue? Is it an overgrowth issue like SIBO or Candida? You know, there's different things that we kind of got to, you know, dig into um, to figure out what the issue really is. But again, the probability of you finding it right off the bat is so low because the, the list is so vast. 
Um, but realistically, I'm always checking off my list of stressors first. Okay, are we sleeping? Are we hydrating? You know, um, do I have all the other stressors under control? Do I have, you know, I'm looking at biofeedback too. I'm looking at blood glucose levels to determine if stressors are under, uh, under control because realistically blood glucose isn't just a determination of how well your, bo your body's handling glucose, right? If your blood glucose is high, it's telling me that there's stressors involved too, you know? So go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's one thing I started looking at a couple of years ago when um, I, I can't remember exactly who it was that brought it up, but I listened to a podcast and I was like, that's very interesting. And I actually noticed it um, in myself a couple of years ago in my off season, there was just a point where calories were high and nothing had changed other than my body composition started to shift in a negative way. And I was like, okay, something is off here. And so I started testing it and I was like elevated in the morning always, right? But post, post perennial was, was fine. And so I was like, okay, I'm metabolizing this correctly, but there's something off as far as stress that has it elevated in the morning. And I started really paying attention to those numbers. Is that something that you see really common? Yeah. You know, um, sometimes we can call this like some people chalk it up to the dawn phenomenon where like you have just heightened cortisol in the morning. And then it's really, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a heightened cortisol response in the morning, but some people's it's higher than others. Um, but realistically it's some type of stress are going on. Um, it could be, you know, if you, it's, it's funny, if you tell people to go drink some water, before checking their blood glucose levels and then wait, their blood glucose levels drop about 15, 20 points. And you're like, well, why is that? Well, hydration. Hydration is a major stressor. If you're not hydrated and you you literally just went eight hours without drinking water, like you're gonna be dehydrated. You add the water in, you wait, wait for your body to be hydrated a little bit better, check your blood glucose levels, and voila, there we are. That fixes most of the problem. Now, if it's continually still high and we know we're in a deficit we know there's an issue somewhere. And that issue is going to be a, an underlying stress issue, like probably sleep, if anything. Yeah, I see that with sleep. And I also see it, um, for example, and I don't know, you know, again, this is going to be dependent on the person. Um, but one thing that I see a lot as far as biofeedback is inflammation. Um, and that can cause a lot of, again, stress cascades. Um, and that will lead to heightened elevated levels of cortisol. So one thing that I see a lot of clients do that come to me um, is their coach will have them doing hit cardio or they're doing like intervals on the Stairmaster that's like heavily uh, causes a lot of inflammation from my experience and what I see. Um, and so just changing up, you know, modes of execution, executing cardio to more low intensity stuff. Um, again, as long as sleep patterns are, are where they need to be, um, I'll look at sources of energy expenditure, um, what might be causing them stress. Again, I see this a lot in night shift workers as well. I'm sure that yeah. you do um, too. And looking at how we can optimize their own circadian rhythms um, to get that stuff under good management. Yeah. Yeah. You know, inflammation is tough because it comes from so many different directions. A lot of times we can even get inflammation from sources of food. And that's why, you know, dairy is like inherently inflammatory. And, uh, and, th and that gets worse as we get older. And a lot of people are like the anti, you know, cut out dairy crowd. But realistically, when I'm fixing all these issues, I'm cutting out dairy for a reason because it's inflammatory. And anytime you inflame the gut, you decrease nutrient partitioning, you decrease our ability to metabolize things. Um, so a lot of times, anytime I'm fixing a gut issue, I'm pulling out numerous things right away into an elimination diet because I need to get to the bottom of it. I may even go low FODMAP because um, I'm trying to reduce any type of inflammation that's occurring anywhere. So I can get to the bottom of really what's the issue here. You know, we don't want these inf inflammatory things piling up onto us. Uh, that's, that's just going to lead to a mess. Of, it's a host of issues that you're going to have to dig through to get to the bottom. 
Yeah, no, it's, it can be brutal too. And I think one of, again, the biggest thing is, is there's psychological stress as well. Um, And so when you tell an athlete who's in bodybuilding, who's used to the grind and you work, 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 and you're always doing this stuff and you're focused on the output, especially like clients that come to me that are just kind of run into the ground and you tell them, Hey, we actually are going to pull back a lot of training volume, a lot of cardio. We're going to focus on sleep. We're going to do a lot less activity. There's a stress there, right? There's still that psychological stress. And so I think uh, one thing that I've had to get really good at is, is managing their, their mindset around it as well and reminding them we're doing this, A, for an acute period of time, but if we don't address it now, it's going to cascade and become worse in the long term. Um, so how do you address that aspect of it when you have someone who's really go, 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 and you're like, hey, actually, you're going to chill out for a little while? Yeah. You know, it's funny because most of my clientele are those people. They came to me with health issues and all of them are women, every single one of them. And it's just, I think, you know, they've just been misled uh, by a lot of male coaches specifically because like male coaches know like what they can do. Like, oh, well, I can handle this. They can handle this. I'm like, it's not the same physiology guy. Like we're dealing with completely different, you know, completely different bodies here and how they respond. Um, so when coming to me, I always, it's a battle. It's really a battle because I'm trying to get them to stop doing what they were doing before and change their mindset. And I'm like, Hey, look, you were doing X, Y, Z. It wasn't working. So why don't we try what I'm going to give you, you know? And it's always about working up food, working down cardio, working down perceived stress, pulling out drugs like T3 that I'm seeing being abused. Right. And not that T3 is inherently bad. It can be used properly. Again, when it comes back to all these drugs, poisons in the dosage always. Um, and so I'm reducing the T3, I'm increasing food, I'm lowering the cardio slowly, I, I'm decreasing the perceived stress, implementing sympathetic, parasympathetic activity, you know, journaling, yoga, um, walking, reading, all these things that could be really helpful to them. And again, giving them the tools to be successful and explaining things, again, setting my expectations, educating. Um, I spend a lot of my time in check-ins just explaining things rather than like sending you an email with just your macros and, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm literally sitting there with a voice memo of four minutes long explaining to you, here's why. I need to educate you. I need you to be a smarter athlete because if you're smarter, we're going to be a better team. Like I can't have just a, bl- a bunch of blind sheep following me. I need educated, active athletes. And um, I need to give them the tools to be successful because they need to recognize the patterns too and what caused what, right? So, it's just about talking to these people really. I mean, I, man, I'm empathetic because I understand what they went through, how abusive it was. And now their mindset is literally, they're traumatized by what they're going through. And the worst part about it is when I have to literally add body fat to a woman and she's freaking out and that body fat can range anywhere from five pounds. I've seen to 25 pounds and boy, you know, trying to get those people to stay with you as an athlete, like it's really an art and it's just, communication always i'm constantly talking to people constantly explaining things and i'm convinced that this is the right way this is the only way if you don't handle it now i think you said this if you don't handle it now it's going to be worse later you know especially with adrenal issues like if we don't cut out caffeine now we don't you, we don't do the light exposure thing now we don't handle all these things cut out all these things then guess what you're going to deal with these issues for literally ever and you'll never compete again at the peak of what you were so I have to tell you, none, I have a lot of notes. Number two, I'm going to have to have you back on because we're going to have to deep dive into some of these things that I've written down. Because, <laughs> you know, one episode is just not going to be enough. And if we sit here and talk for three hours, it's going to be a lot for people to digest. So um, I think one of the most important things uh, that you talked about is educating your clients. I see a lot of coaches 
um, that are not willing to answer questions because they don't know the answer. Um, they're, they're good at saying, well, just trust me, babe, like, you know, whatever, um, which I think sucks. Um, it yeah. is very unfortunate. I, I have found that the more that you educate people on why you're doing what you're doing, the more confident they are in that game plan. And that drops that psychological stress right away. Um, and so being able to talk about the adjustments that you're making, why they're making, why it's important um, for that time period um, is incredibly important. And I'll have people come to me, you know, that want to start a prep right away and looking at their calories, look at the, looking at their energy expenditure, getting the information, getting them on the phone and asking them the right questions. I have to have that hard conversation. That's like, no, I can't. And I will not do that for you. And here's why this is where you're at. And we can't put you through that and expect to be able to be competitive. Your body's going to say no. Um, and I'm not willing to do that for you. So that's, that's a hard conversation. Um, and a lot, not a lot of people are willing to accept that, but, um, I think that, um, number one, most of the time when they don't, they end up coming back because they realize you were right. Um, you know, and you can always, you know, wait for them to kind of go through it. Sometimes you got to be drugged through the mud, um, to come out the other side and realize that in order for you to be successful in this sport long-term, um, you have to handle things the right way. It's tough because there's so many coaches that are yes coaches out there that are willing to do those things and literally bring these people down to such a horrible health positioning where it's going to take so long for me to get it back. You know, there's people I've been working with for over a year to get their health back because of previous coaches. I mean, over a year, we've took a year of this person's life away from them uh, because, you know, this coach X and coach Y aren't able to do what's, what's ethically right. And again, that's why I started coaching. Like I, I, I have an ethical guideline I live by and I don't break it. And because if I break it, I feel like I'm being like the rest of them. And so when it comes to drug usage, when it comes to diet, when it comes to prepping, there's things that I will do and things I won't do. Like there's, there's definitive guidelines. Um, and, and again, I don't know how to continue. I don't know how to stop the coaches, the yes coaches, all I know is I can keep putting out educational content, keep coming on podcasts like yours, keep speaking to people and saying like, there's a different way. There's a better way. And what's being, ha what's happening to you, like a seven month prep to get you in shape. And now adrenals are fried and uh, hormones are fried. Hormones are in the dirt, right? Um, that's abuse. That is a, that is abuse to the highest order. Um, some of these coaches are abusing people and uh, it's, it's sad to see. And that's why, that's why I'm here, you know? Yeah, I think that passion is, is such an important factor with coaching. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, then you're in the wrong industry and you will be exposed. Like that's my thing is as you continue to show up and do the right thing, remember that there are coaches um, that do genuinely give a fuck that want to do the right things and are going to be honest with you. And the more um, that that is spoken about and on platforms and, and we can voice that, um, the more people are going to start at least hearing that now, whether or not they choose to follow it is their own thing. Um, but I think that the hardest part for me is understanding that some of the protocols that these coaches are doing are going to cause issues that sometimes can't be reversed, um, you know, naturally. And that's where to me, it's concerning and heartbreaking because it didn't have to be that way, right? If you were more responsible, if you were educated, if you understood, you know, basic physiology and, and metabolic uh, capacities and all these different things and, and pathways and how these things are, are happening and how to mitigate them and were responsible with your protocols and paid attention, um, you wouldn't have fucked that person up. You know, 
And, and that's where I get infuriated. It's like, how do you do the right thing? Well, the only thing you can do is continue to show up, you know, have principles and guidelines that you follow limitations on both sides and be honest. Like I have no problem saying, I don't know things. I don't know everything about PEDs. I'm not going to go run somebody a PED cycle. I'm not, I don't feel qualified to do so, but I can ask, I can learn, right? I can, I can outsource those people to people who are qualified, who have those practices. Whereas a lot of coaches are afraid to say, I don't know. Well, I don't fucking know everything, but I damn sure will find out. I'll find an answer, you know, uh, and that's how you take care of a client because you can't know everything. Yeah. If you don't know, say it and be like, I'm going to find you an answer. There's nothing, there's no harm in that. You know, I've been in that position where I'm like, you know what? I really don't know. Let me go ask one of my old mentors, you know, cause I have had incredible mentors that are some of the best in the industry. And uh, I mean, I'll just go pop on the phone with them. It's not a big deal. I'll shoot them an email. I'll shoot them a DM. Like it's not a big deal. Hold on. The problem, you know, what I really see now, though, and I'm really thankful for this, a lot of the coaches that were abusive and were harmful are now finally seeking out educational opportunities. I think they've stepped off their arrogant pedestal finally. And instead of being, oh, well, I have you know X amount of pros, you should listen to what I say. Well, you also have a hundred other athletes with estrogen dominance and gut issues and adrenal issues that I've been fixing, right? So, you know, what's the ratio there? And finally, some of them are seeking out mentorship opportunities and they're doing better. Thank God. Like, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted for you. I didn't want your business to come crumbling down. That's not what I'm here for. I, I want to see you do better. I want to see you do better by these people because I've been so passionate about this industry since I was fucking born. Like, I've, I've literally been here for 30 years watching this unfold. And it's not now, I, like, I feel lucky enough that like people have listened to me to give me a platform to be able to say this stuff, you know, and I've been saying, I've literally been saying this since, you know, 2010, you know, I was the guy that came out and I was talking about how, Hey, people can handle higher protein, protein intakes. People can handle, you know, what you should be doing with protein is, is literally, um, you know, partitioning it through your day and even amounts because we want pro muscle protein synthesis. It'll be better that way. And then there was the crowd that was telling me, no, it doesn't matter. Daily protein intakes, the, mo the most important. No, it's not like, I've been saying these things, um, you know, forever. And it's, it's nice to finally have a platform to be able to say something, to be able to teach people. So, man, yeah, I can go on and on about this because it, it frustrates me. It is frustrating. Um, and again, like it's, it's something that I very much appreciate you taking the time to come on here um, and have these conversations with me. And I, I guarantee I'll, I'll ask you to come back so that we can deep dive into some other issues um, that you see. But um, as far as, you know, where you're at, how people can find you, um, please leave that information. Of course, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but again, I very much appreciate you coming on. We'll have to do it again. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And your Instagram is? Oh, uh, Instagram is at the Megatron underscore. Uh, you can find me there. Um, you could find our coaching at TominicTrain.com. Um, I will be offering mental like tutorial classes on different categories here starting at the end of this month in January. So we'll have uh, the first one up is like metabolic adaptations and the thyroid health. We'll look at blood work. Uh, we'll look at scenarios and kind of break down that, how to fix different things, how to handle things like Hashimoto's. Um, so that'll be the first one. And we'll have these different classes available to everyone, to new and upcoming coaches, plus athletes. Um, we want to make smarter athletes and smarter coaches. And that's what we're here to do. Awesome. I'm very excited about that. I will probably join in. Uh, so I'm happy that you're going to be offering that, but thank you once again, and I hope to have you back. All right. Thank you very much.